3: Welcome to the podcast.
0: I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there. And this is stuff you should do. (laughs) Not bad. Let's hear yours. I know you can do it. The soul train. It's so much higher than that. That was good though. But you 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 dropped it down into your range, and it still was you made it your own, I think, is what I'm trying to say. And I like it. Which is old white guy version. So, you're not old, you're just middle-aged now. Uh Okay, sure. Uh Well, let me ask you this, Chuck. Were you aware of Soul Train while it was on? Oh, yeah. Okay, then you're super old. <laughs>
2: I loved Soul Train.
0: Sure. So, I was a solid gold man myself. But I can get on some Soul Train for sure, especially, like, vintage stuff these days.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've watched Solid Gold, to be sure, uh, an American bandstand, but I was just a... Uh, A rabid consumer of popular culture and television Mm -hmm. and music growing Mm -hmm. up. So before MTV came along and completely changed my life, because that's all I watched, was Mm -hmm. uh, shows like Soul Train were where I could, because, you know, often I couldn't stay up to watch um, late night uh, talk shows where you see performances. Like this is where I got to see live music before I could start go seeing live music.
0: Right, oh, yeah, that was and that was a huge draw of it for sure, like the idea of just being able to tune in on Saturday at eleven a m depending on where you were mm-hmm. and and seeing like a somebody like Marvin Gaye or Stevie Wonder perform. Absolutely. Like, that was that was a big deal, especially, like you are saying, if you were too young and fell asleep too early to go to a proper show. That's right. Um, but even more than that, and, like, that was a huge, huge mark that Soul Train left was, was just presenting that. But that had been done before. There was American Bandstand. There were all sorts of, like, kind of dance party TV shows. Um, so it didn't exactly pioneer in that sense. But what it did pioneer in is that the... People that it was presenting African-Americans, teenagers um, who were hip and their own people and part of black culture and presenting it in a way that like was not apologetic, that wasn't um, critical, that didn't didn't portray it in some sort of negative light or in a way that, you know, was trying to get white people to understand it, mm-hmm. just presenting it as it was and celebrating it. That's where Soul Train, like, really broke through. And it's very, very difficult to overstate how revolutionary and groundbreaking Soul Train was, especially for how simple the show format was, basically.
2: Yeah, I mean, like you said, Bandstand had been around since 1952, and this, you know, kind of was known as the Black American Bandstand. Mm -hmm. And it followed that format. It was, you know, people, uh, a live music performance, um a host interviewing and talking to these people uh these musicians afterward briefly and then beyond that just awesome music spinning on the turntable and amazing dancing amazing outfits amazing hairstyles and just a celebration of black culture it was really really cool and um the point is made in in this uh in this article that they put together for us but um it it was it was definitely um by black people and for black people but it was an introduction to black culture to white kids like me little 8-year-old chuck in stone mountain georgia sitting around watching the soul train dance line
0: yeah i can imagine it was mind blowing chuck like um i i think it wasn't just you know it wasn't like you were necessarily sheltered where you were growing up whether you were or not it kind of doesn't matter it was that there there was no place for you to be exposed to this prior to soul train that if you saw a black guy on tv it was say on the news and he was being arrested for something right. or they you know he was involved in a protest and the protest was kind of presented in a particularly negative agitating light um, or he was a sidekick uh, on, on TV or a servant or in some kind of goofy comedy or something like that. Like the insult the, train didn't do that. There was no, there was no subscribing to all of, like the preconceived notions that there had been before. It was just its own thing. It was like, Hey, by the way, we've been, you know, we have our own culture over here. You guys have ignored all this time. I'm, we're going to put it on TV and show it off. And if you like it, awesome. If you don't get lost.
2: Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> and Dave, um, I thought it was kind of astute that he he said it was kind of like a lifestyle brand before that was such a thing because these people were influencers. Uh, what you saw on uh, on Soul Train, you, you wanted to dance like that. You wanted to wear those clothes. If uh, someone debuted a sweet move mm-hmm. that you saw on Saturday morning, you would uh, practice that move in your living room and then debut it at your club that night.
0: And there were, like, some pretty sweet moves that were debuted on, on Soul Train. The sweetest. Remember, we did an entire episode on the Moonwalk, if you'll remember correctly. and That was originally called the Backslide. That was created on Soul Train. The robot, the rerun dance. Man, there's so much sweet roboting <laughs> going on. Yes. Yeah, and that's where it came from. Apparently, no one did the robot. And, like, these were, like, basically club kids who who now had a place to do their club stuff on TV and then go out to the clubs later that night and do some more and like come up with more stuff and they would come bring it to Soul Train again. And then kids would watch that. Kids, college kids, adults would watch this and be like, this is the coolest thing that's on TV right now. And I want to do those dance moves, too.
2: Yeah, let's um, read a couple of these quotes uh, that kind of encapsulate how important of a show this was. Uh, one is from uh, philosopher, activist and Harvard professor Cornell West. He said, I never missed it. Saturday morning, as a graduate student at Princeton, I would see it wherever I was. It made available to the world one of the great traditions in American history, which is a history of soul music. Soul music, at its best, taught America, especially young Americans, about color, how to be free, and how to love in a deeper and better way. Uh, And this from Common, the uh, actor and rapper. Watching my babysitter get the opportunity to go on Soul Train was like a dream come true for her because Soul Train was the biggest thing then for the black community. It gave ordinary, everyday people an opportunity to express themselves. It showed us that we, too, have a place on TV.
0: Yeah, and I can't imagine what Common's babysitter, how excited she must have been to get to be on Soul Train. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, that must have been the biggest thing possible. Like they said, it was the hippest trip on television. And, like, that was not much of an exaggeration, especially at the time, especially when you compared it to, like, American Bandstand at the time, which when when Soul Train came along, you said Bandstand had been on since 1952, Mm -hmm. almost two decades by the time um, Soul Train comes along. And there was a TV critic in 1973 who wrote, I believe for the New York Times, that comparing... um, Soul Train to the Old American Bandstand is like comparing champagne to seltzer. <laughs> Burns <laughs> so that had to that had to hurt Dick Clark. Oh, he did fine. Well, as far as I could tell, everything I've ever heard about him, he was literate, so he very well could have read that. And if not, somebody may have read it to him, and it hurt his feelings, there's no way it didn't.
2: <laughs> so, we can't talk about Soul Train without talking about Don Cornelius. Uh No. Don Cornelius was the host and creator of Soul Train. And owner. And owner, which is huge. Like, this guy owned his own TV show, which was not a very common thing to happen. Still is not a common thing.
0: They usually put him in league with Desi Arnaz, who owned I Love Lucy and Mike Douglas, who owned the Mike Douglas Show. Most of the, even, like, the creators of a show, you didn't own the show that you created. Like, you, like, have some sort of deal with somebody to help produce it, or a network has exclusive rights to it, or somebody else at least owns some other piece of it. This was 100% Don Cornelius's jam. And there's a legend, um that kind of goes along with that, that James Brown came on very early on in like 1972 or three. And he was like, so who's backing you on this, man? Who's backing you, man? And Don, thank you. I can't do a very good James Brown. (laughs) Um, And Don Cornelius says, it's just me, James. And apparently James Brown thought that he didn't fully understand the question, so he kind of asked it again. Didn't think to rephrase it in different words, just asked the same question. Don Cornelius answers him the same way. He says, it's just me, James. Like, he got what he was saying, and he was telling him, this is mine. 100% mine. Nobody else owns it. It's totally my show. And I don't think anybody else could have done it like Don Cornelius did. He was perfect for Soul Train. And I think the reason why is because it came from him. Like, it was his creation and his baby. Should we take a break? I'm a little worked up, so yeah, maybe so.
2: All right. Uh, you're going to work on your rerun dance. <laughs> We're going to take a little break, and we'll go back and uh, talk about young Don Cornelius right after this.
1: Want to learn about a pterosaur and call it pterodactyl. pterodactyl? How to take a perfect and all about fractals? Genghis Khan. Achilla the Hun. The Lizzie Border Murders the and the cannibal, cannibal Runs. Don't explain so everything sure to your brain. Explodes. explodes. Chuck. And Josh. This stuff you should know.
3: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.
1: Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Reality Podcast.
2: All right, so young Don was uh, born in Chicago on the south side in the neighborhood of Bronzeville, known as the Black Metropolis. He Hmm. was the son of a postal worker and was a Marine. He joined the Marines after high school, uh, fought in South Korea, After that, comes home to Chicago, sells cars for a little while, sells insurance for a little while, and then says, I want to be a cop.
0: I want to be a popo.
2: Yep, and he was a popo.
0: Also in there somewhere, he married, I believe it's high school sweetheart and has two kids. So by the time he's a cop, he's he's married with with two kids at home, two sons. And one day, um, there's a story, an urban legend, that as far as I know is true. Let me smell it. Well, then it's not an urban legend.
2: It's just a story.
0: It could be a true urban legend. Okay. We're going to come up with an entirely different category right now, Chuck. (laughs) Right. So Don Cornelius, Officer Cornelius, pulls the guy over, and that guy happened to be the news director, Roy Wood, for a local um, AM radio station, WVON. And as Roy Wood is getting this ticket written up by Officer Cornelius, he's like, hey, man, your voice is astounding. Because if you've never heard Don Cornelius' voice— Yeah. Press pause right now and go on to YouTube, just listen to some Soul Train intros from him. He was an amazingly hip cat with one of the best voices of all time. Yeah, rival well, he, he Barry
2: White. Uh, he also pulled over the guy and said, License and registration, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so that helped.
0: Yeah. Do it as Sammy Davis Jr. pulling him over now. <laughs> Hey, babe, give me your license and registration. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was, that was so good. So um, anyway, the guy like is like, you have a really great voice. Have you ever considered going into radio? And Don Cornelius says, I haven't until now, but I'm going to give it some thought. And not only does he give it some thought, it's not clear whether he actually gave Roy Wood the ticket or not, um, but he he actually quits being a cop. Goes and takes a three-month broadcasting course with a wife and two sons at home. So this is a pretty big risk on his part. And tries out for a uh, part as a radio announcer at WVON and gets hired. After a three-month course, because his voice was that great and because his persona was that hip, too.
2: So, yes, Don Cornelius, uh, uh, the, the voice of gold, the golden tonsils.
0: Is that what they call the Velvet Fog?
2: <laughs> that was Mel Torme. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I always get those two confused. <laughs> and Noel on Movie Crush, his nickname is Smoky Velvet.
0: Oh, that's nice.
2: I'm not sure where that came from. Maybe I made it up. Smokey Gullet? Smoky Velvet.
0: <laughs> oh, Smokey Velvet. <laughs> Smokey Gullet. That's really gross.
2: So uh, he becomes a DJ at the radio station, like you said, and then is hired as a reporter, a news reporter on TV for WCIU-TV, he covered sports, he covered uh covered uh civil rights stuff. Mm-hmm. He had a uh show uh for the news program called A Black's View of the News, uh which is you know something you could only get away with in the nineteen sixties.
0: I think early seventies but yeah, you're right, it would have been the sixties, sorry.
2: Yeah, and he uh he interviewed Jesse Jackson, he interviewed Martin Luther King, yeah, uh still DJing at night, and he hosted the series of house parties. And club appearances all over Chicago. And he would take the train to get to these places. So he called these parties uh, the Soul Train. That's where the name came from.
0: Yeah. So he's like a a TV broadcaster by day, radio radio DJ and sock hop DJ by night. Comes up with the Soul Train idea. And again, so this is like in his first year after taking a three-month broadcasting course, after pulling over a radio executive who told him he had a good voice, and uh, he's like, you know what? I'm happy doing news and civil rights reporting, and I'm part of, you know, this group called The Good Guys, these uh, black DJs out of Chicago that were kind of known as the arbiters of cool. But, um, he, he said that he had, he later said that he had this burning desire to um, to see black people depicted on television in a positive light. And, He decided that the best way to do that was to kind of take these parties, these sock hops and um, just kind of cool Chicago house parties that he was DJing and just put them on TV. That like that would basically be enough that if people just saw how cool these parties were and how fun they were and how much like how, how what a celebration of like black culture they were just in and of themselves, that that could be a TV show by itself. And that was the original Soul Train.
2: That's right. And uh very key, he went to his uh TV station, WCIU uh, and said, "I want to shoot a pilot for this thing, baby." And they said, uh, sure, but we're not going to front the money." And he said, "I'll pay for it." Little did he know what a fortuitous move that was. Yeah. Because I think had they funded it, they would have had a real claim to it legally. But he put up 400 bucks of his own money, uh shot a pilot. It didn't look that great. It was in black and white. But it was a big hit immediately, uh, and he said not because it was wonderful, but because it was theirs. It belonged to the black people. Yeah. Uh, A year later, he moves uh, to L.A. and said, I'm going to do the show for real here. This is where it became nationally syndicated, uh, which, you know, I don't know when we talked about TV syndication, but that's basically when it's not owned and run on a major network, but you sell it to each local TV uh, station in whatever city
0: yeah i don't know what we would have talked about that on either but um i would i think we should do an entire episode on t v syndication I, I'll bet it was world changing sure so um when he moved it to Los Angeles in nineteen seventy one that black and white soul train it used to be on every weekday they continued that so it was like it was two things it was a full color nationally syndicated television show out of l a but it was also a black and white local weekly um or weekday television show out of chicago at the same time for like a good five years they were both running at the same time and so don cornelius was at the helm of both so on fridays he would fly out to la shoot four episodes two on saturday two on sunday and then fly back in time to be there for the afternoon uh black and white monday episode of the chicago local soul train
2: amazing working hard he was
0: working hard yeah that's right
2: So uh, it was a very popular show right out of the gate, but advertising was always kind of a struggle because mainstream brands didn't quite know what to make of it. They didn't. This was kind of the first show of its kind, Um, but that did open the door for Johnson Products, uh, another uh, black-owned Chicago business from husband and wife team, George and Joanne Johnson, uh, that they started in 1954. And these commercials are so great, too. They sold uh, beauty and hair care products. To African Americans. So Afro Sheen and Ultra Sheen were the two big ones and the two big commercials you see. And they became as much as part of the fabric of the show almost as like the Soul Train Line or the Performers or anything else, really.
0: Yeah, and I mean like I think in large part because they were they were like our like one of the earliest <laughs> and longest running That's sponsors, right. right? So when they came on, what they were promoting with like with Afro Sheen and Ultra Sheen was radical and that it's saying like, just let your hair grow naturally. These are hair products for African Americans to use when they're growing their hair naturally, not following like white beauty standards, right? So it was like a perfect sponsor for Soul Train, which is a celebration of black culture Um, for itself the 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 um, johnson family of products were promoting black culture in its in like natural state too so it was like just perfect to go hand in hand i think they kind of worked with each other but also were important independent of one another but when you put them together it was like greater than the sum of its parts even
2: yeah and it was um it was a big deal culturally uh not only was it a big hit but like people like jesse jackson said Uh, Don Cornelius is right up there with any civil rights leader of our generation. He gave people a chance to feel good about themselves.
0: That's pretty great. Uh,
2: And like I said, I was a little white kid watching it. There's this lady, Madeline Weeks, who is uh, a fashion editor at GQ. She was uh, a little white girl in Virginia, and she said, I watched Soul Train religiously every week. Loved it from beginning to end. Even the Afro-Sheen and Ultra-Sheen ads were heaven. Uh, It had the funkiest, most stylish, sexiest dancers, Everybody looked like they were having the best time. All the girls looked gorgeous. Who wouldn't want to look like that? I was just a little kid living in the countryside in Virginia, and I live for it.
0: (laughs) That's something else. It's pretty great. Well, you want to take a, a break and then get back into what it was like to watch Soul Train?
2: And be on it. You know, I was a guest.
0: Yes, I can't wait. We're going to debut that clip live. All right, let's do it.
1: Want to learn about a pterosaur and call it pterodactyl? How to take a perfect movement all about fractals. Genghis Khan, Achilla the Hun, the Lizzy, Lizzy Borden murders and the cannibal, cannibal runs. Don't explain Stuby everything to you your brain. Explodes, Chuck. And Josh, This stuff you should, you should know.
3: Word up, Jerry. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season... Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.
1: Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kiwi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. podcast.
0: Okay, Chuck, so we're back. Uh, There was one little thing that I I wanted to include about WCIU, the original Chicago home of Soul Train. Apparently it was like a ragtag UHF station, an independent station. And um, have you ever seen that, that movie UHF with Weird Al? Nope. Oh, it's so good. But it actually is not too far off from WCIU. They would play Lithuanian and Polish language talk shows, Amos and Andy, um, bullfights from Mexico. Like these they just had this weird assemblage of TV shows of awful programming. <laughs> but then their their in-house programming was made by like this ragtag kind of group of inexperienced people. And there's a, I read in the Chicago Reader this kind of oral history of the local version of Soul Train. The head cameraman at WCIU had Strabismus and couldn't use the viewfinder in the camera. It was like that kind of ragtag group that just kind of got it done somehow. Wow. I just love that little tidbit. That's pretty cool. Yeah.
2: All right. So if you watch Soul Train, the first thing that you would see when the show starts is that classic. Um, animated intro of that freight mm-hmm. train rolling into the city. So cool. So iconic. D- then you see Don Cornelius always dressed to the nines, the Man. coolest cat maybe to ever be on television.
0: Would make Billy Dee weep with jealousy.
2: <laughs> he was, uh, because he was a DJ previously, he was, he just had that DJ lingo down. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, they put in one of the things, it's going to be a stone <laughs> gas, honey. Like, <laughs> All that seventies um sort of shaft like talk was was just who Don Cornelius
0: was. Let me let me try my hand at it. You ready? Okay. <clears throat> it's gonna be a stone gas, honey. <laughs> okay. I sounded like a, a CB <laughs> trucker from the seventies somehow. Interesting. It's gonna be a stone gas, honey. <laughs> I don't know what my problem is. Hey, not bad. Don't lie to me, Chuck.
2: Josh Cornelius. <laughs> Uh, you had your musical guests, like we said, just like American Bandstand. Um, I think sometimes they lip synced and sometimes they really sang. Uh, Early on,
0: they lip synced across the board.
2: Yeah, it kind of depends on who the artist is, too. Um, Patti LaBelle, Barry White, Aretha Franklin, Stevie Wonder, James Brown, Al Green, like just a murderer's row of rhythm and blues and soul performers. Uh, I think Gladys Knight and the Pips was on the first syndicated episode.
0: Yeah, and like that was a huge favor that he called in, and Gladys totally delivered by being on that first nationally syndicated episode because it drew a lot of attention. And apparently from that point on, uh, he was was always very um, deferential, saying, you know, if it weren't for Gladys, none of this would be here right now. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was pretty cool of her. Have you ever eaten at Gladys Knight's House of Chicken and Waffles? What do you think? I'm thinking you probably have multiple times, but we've never discussed it.
2: Yeah. I mean, when I lived in LA, I was a regular at Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, but um, yeah, Gladys Knight does it right as well.
0: Yes, she does. Have you ever had the smothered chicken there? Mm, I don't
2: think so. Is it like gravy or something?
0: Yes. And it is even better than the chicken and waffles. Really? Yes. I
2: can't not get the chicken and waffles, So
0: Get both. Okay. Just get both. (laughs) There's deal. no reason to hold back at Gladys Knight's House of Chicken and Waffles.
2: Yeah, and eat a little bit of both and take the rest home. Sure. Or eat it all. Yes. <laughs> um so Soul Train, of course, the the musical performances were great and classic and iconic, but it's the dancing that is uh what it's really known for. Uh they got they scouted out some of these dancers. They would go to the clubs and they did this on American Bandstand and other shows too that had uh that had dancers. They would go Find like the flyest dancers in the clubs, invite mm-hmm. them to be on the show, and everyone else had to audition. Like thousands of people would line up and audition with their dance moves to be a soul train dancer.
0: Yeah. And, um, like, again, like Commons Babysitter was saying, like, that was a big deal to be picked. And some were recruited, like you're saying, from the clubs. Um, and those, those, particular dancers were usually so good that they would rise to like national prominence like the camera just couldn't avoid them they also were no slouches at learning how to play to the camera too sure um when the camera was on them or anywhere near them um but one of the ways that everybody shined too whether you got a lot of camera time or not was in the the um the Soul Train Line, which became a really regular feature of each episode, where everybody just kind of be clapping and standing on two sides, mm-hmm. and then a couple would come down. Usually, a couple. Sometimes it was solo. Would come down and do some crazy dance moves um, and really get a chance to like show off and, and kind of capture the attention of the of the viewing audience.
2: Yeah, if you've never gone on YouTube and looked at Soul Train Line videos, um. First of all, I'm surprised that you you exist as a human. And secondly, just do it and then look up at the clock two hours later Mm -hmm. because you will be able to do nothing but watch those video clips. It's amazing.
0: And what's cool about it, too, is you can put it to any kind of super cool music and it sounds really great and looks really great.
2: What you, like, mute it and put on different music?
0: No, no, but other people have, like, put their own tracks or other people's tracks oh, the really? video of Soul Train, and it, it works really well. Oh, interesting. Yeah.
2: I like the real music.
0: Sure. Real music isn't bad either. Yeah.
2: The Jungle Boogie one is really good in particular. That is a good one. Uh, so they filmed four episodes in a weekend. Um, apparently, the dancers were worked pretty hard. And Cornelius was pretty demanding of them. Uh, You couldn't chew gum. You couldn't curse. Uh, His mantra was, be on time, be tactful, be creative, be funky, and be yourself. Yeah. Words to live by.
0: They were unpaid, too, typically. Um, I guess you would be paid if you were dancing to a performer. Um, But if you were part of the segments that... That where it was just them playing music and people were dancing, you were unpaid. Um, I think they'd feed you because, again, you're doing two episodes uh, over – two days so four total like you were saying um and i mean you're dancing like the whole time and i'm guessing that these things probably took longer than an hour they didn't just do an hour and and that was it with no retakes or edits or anything like that so i'm not sure how long it actually took to to film an actual episode but you were basically dancing the entire time two episodes back to back twice over, over a weekend
2: i bet it was fun too though
0: I'm sure it was fun too. I also get the impression that it was a little competitive. Oh, sure. Although there's a guy who um frequently gets overshadowed by Don Cornelius, but is known as his right hand man. His name was Clinton Ghent, and he was one of the uh the kind of co-creators of Soul Trainer. He was there from the beginning in Chicago, and he had a real eye for finding those dancers in the clubs. He was one of the ones who would go scout dancers. Um, but not only of finding people who had, like, really crazy good moves and getting them to come on to Soul Train, but of putting all sorts of different dancers who would normally be pretty competitive with one another, finding groups that would kind of gel together like a family so that when you go back and watch Soul Train episodes or when you were watching it when they were coming on the first time, you you, you weren't like sitting there seeing like dancers, like kind of sniping one another, backbiting, or pushing yeah. each other out of the way. It did kind of have this really family vibe every episode. And apparently, that was the work of that Clinton Gent guy who, who just really knew how to put people together.
2: Yeah, that GQ uh, editor really nailed it. Like, it, it just looked like every, it just looked like a party you wanted to be at. Like, everyone was having yeah. a good time.
0: Yeah, for sure. So,
2: some of the, um, Some of these dancers went on to be famous uh, and were kind of discovered there. Uh, Jody Watley, the singer, she started out as a teenager on Soul Train. And Don Cornelius was like, you're super talented. I'm a businessman. Um, I'm going to pair you with this other guy, Jeffrey Daniel, and you guys should record music together. And that little group went on to be Shalimar, of course. Uh, In 1977, they got together. Uh, And then
0: after Shalimar, Jody Watley went on to become... Jody Wadley. That's right.
2: (laughs) Uh Uh, You mentioned rerun from What's Happening. Um, Nick Cannon, Carmen Electra, which I didn't know that she started out there. That kind of surprised me.
0: I didn't either. Her real name is Tara Lee Patrick. Did you know that?
2: Mm, I don't know if I did or not. I I know it wasn't Carmen
0: Electra. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's not that. Although she looks way more like a Carmen Electra than a Tara Lee Patrick.
2: Yeah, agreed.
0: Doesn't look at all Irish or Southern. (laughs)
2: Uh, Rosie Perez was maybe one of the biggest names to come out of uh, Soul Train this was in the 80s because you know you think about the salad days of Soul Train and you'd probably think of the 70s but uh, the 80s were pretty big and it went all the way to 2006 but um, in the 80s is when the hip hop influence came on and Rosie Perez brought that, uh, that Brooklyn, New York City hip hop flavor and if you go back and watch some of her stuff on Soul Train it's like the dancing's cool. It's much it's much different than that sort of seventies groove. It was uh it was that sort of New York City hip hop style.
0: Yeah. She does it like the beginning of um what is it? Uh Do the Right Thing. Yeah, that's her dancing at the beginning of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was like straight up Soul Train. That's what she did on Soul Train. Um, which is very much not like what they were doing in LA, too. So she kind of rose to prominence as a soul train dancer very quickly. And Don Cornelius apparently was like, hey, I want to lock you into a contract. And Rosie Perez, being smart streetwise, Rosie Perez said, that's great. I'll show it to my lawyer. And apparently Don Cornelius didn't like this. And as the story goes, he grabbed Rosie Perez, which is not what you do when somebody says that they want their lawyer to look at a contract you want them to lock into. Um, or for any reason, really. Um, and... To get him all of her, she threw um, a piece of the fried chicken she was eating at the time right at his head and hit him in the face. <laughs> That's how the story goes. <laughs> That's how Rosie Perez tells it for sure.
2: Yeah. And, you know, we should mention, too, that that is not cool at all. And while we're praising Don Cornelius for his talents as a host, he uh, he did later in life when he was a bit older. Um, was was he arrested or was he just charged? I think he was charged with um, domestic violence against his His, uh, Russian-Ukrainian wife.
0: Yes, uh, he was at least charged. um, I don't know if he was convicted, but there was a, uh, yeah, he got into an entailment because of that at least accusation that he had um, abused her and then also apparently intimidated a witness into changing their story. He was charged with that as well. It was, from what I understand, though, this all took place over a single night, and possibly within a very short period of time over a single night. Not at all trying to justify or sure. excuse it, but um, it. it I, I don't. I don't know the story behind it at all. Um, but I. I think it's worth pointing out. Like Don Cornelius was not just a straight up like nothing but a smooth, cool cat. He was a complex human being who had faults as well too. Yeah. Absolutely. And flaws and all that. I mean, grabbing Rosie Perez is bad enough alone.
2: Sure. You know what you get? You get the old chicken wing to the forehead.
0: Yeah, you do. <laughs> I. You would think, like, even before she was a star, you'd know, just hanging out with her a little bit, not to mess with Rosie Perez. No,
2: I would never mess with Rosie
0: Perez. He didn't know that.
2: Uh, his signature uh, sign-off was, I'm Don Cornelius, and as always in parting, we wish you love, peace, and soul.
0: Yeah. There were a couple of other people who kind of rose to prominence, too. Cheryl Song, she was the first Asian dancer on Soul Train. She said she had to really kind of prove herself that she wasn't just like the token non-African-American dancer, um, that she was actually a really good dancer, and she did. Um, And then Jermaine Stewart, who you might recognize as the singer of We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off. And that's pretty cute because he came back home. And performed it on Soul Train in 1986. And when Don Cornelius was introducing him, he was saying, he made good and we're all very proud of him.
2: And like you mentioned, the Irish Carmen Electra, who uh, I guess stood out because she was river dancing on Soul Train. (laughs) And everyone was like, what is
0: that? What is that? But then everybody (laughs) wanted to do it because it was Carmen Electra doing it.
2: So Soul Train was so popular. Mm -mm. And uh, Dick Clark, I guess, didn't feel like he had enough money as a a TV mogul and an icon on American Bandstand. So he went, Hey, I'm going to start my own soul train and try and bury Don Cornelius. Right. (laughs) And I'm going to call it soul unlimited. Uh, I'm going to put it on ABC and it was, you can see clips of it on YouTube. It didn't last long, but it, it was a literal ripoff of soul train. And you might say soul train was a ripoff of American Bandstand. Fair enough. But for him to go after, uh, the african american market like that i don't think was very cool
0: no it isn't very cool i could see dick clark being a little blind to the larger implications of it you Probably. know and you know i don't know if it, if he was involved in its canceling or not but you know some uh, some black leaders did get it canceled they they started a campaign to say like no just leave this one alone I don't know if how easily Dick Clark went along with it or not. I like to think he was like, oh, okay, I see the error of my ways now and dropped it. But, yeah, only a few episodes came out. Either way, Soul Train was left to, like, stand on its own, you know? Yeah. Which And I, I think, think rightfully so, good. too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: there were other performers. Uh, later on, they would have white performers. David Bowie very famously was on there.
0: And, oh, man. Uh, did
2: you watch that? I did. did a
0: That oh, was awful. Did
2: a pretty bad lip sync job, which Cornelius uh, gave him— uh, kind of teased him about. Uh, and then Elton John, who was, who has always had a pretty big following in the African-American community. Um, I didn't know
0: that. Did you?
2: Yeah, yeah. He wrote, he wrote about it in his uh, autobiography that I read last oh, year. That's cool. I think it started when um, Aretha Franklin covered uh, Burn Down the Mission, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Okay. Was that the one she recorded?
2: I think that's the way it went down. Know.
0: I've never heard of that song before. What is wrong with you? You've
2: never heard Burn Down the Mission?
0: I don't think so. I'm not the biggest Elton John fan. I, I mean, I'm fine with him, but uh-huh. I really don't like a lot of his 70s stuff. Like a lot. I really don't like it. Wow. But I like his 80s stuff, like the whole I'm Still Standing thing. Okay. That's good. <laughs> right. It was Burn Down the Mission before that? Yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was in the 70s. My follow-up question is, what, what, what problem did he have with the mission? <laughs> he didn't write it. Oh, okay. Bernie Taupin wrote all his lyrics. Oh, I see. Now I am a Bernie Taupin fan. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're a national treasure. Thank you. So Elton John was on a couple of times and um it's pretty sweet if you look at the one. Uh I'm not sure if it was the Philadelphia Freedom one or uh I hate that song. Or the other one. <laughs> it's such a good song. But he would they you know, he takes questions and you can tell he's kind of shy and a little nervous. And he takes some questions from the uh from the people, uh, from the dancers and stuff, which was kind of cool. But it's just very sweet to see how nervous he was.
0: Yeah. Because he's he's known for being a humble, he, humble spirit. Is he? No. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen that the documentary they made? Or he self-made? Or no, his partner made. His partner was the only one he would let. You know, follow him around with the camera, which is pretty understandable. Uh-huh. But it came out in the last, like, I don't know, decade or less. Yeah.
2: The, the uh, Tantrums and Tierras, I think.
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 It was great, man. I loved it.
2: Yeah. He's good. I like that Rocket Man movie a lot, too.
0: I have not seen that. I saw it. I, I saw it over someone else's shoulders on a plane. You wouldn't like it. I didn't. I No, it didn't look like anything I would like.
2: No, if you don't like Elton John, you wouldn't like the movie about Elton John.
0: No. And again, Sir Elton, I have no problem with you personally. It's just that that period through 70s, the 70s, like Crocodile Rock, um, the one about uh, like Philadelphia Freedom. um, You know, all those bad
2: 70s albums, Madman Across the Water and Captain Fantastic and Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Those are all terrible.
0: Exactly. (laughs) I feel understood, Chuck. Thank you.
2: Uh, so the eighties come along and 1983 Don Cornelius, uh, has brain surgery, takes a little time off. He comes back. Soul train is, uh, has changed their look a little bit to try and fit with, um, kind of what's going on at the time with like Whitney Houston and people like that. And then hip hop and rap come along and apparently Don Cornelius, uh, Cornelius is not a big fan.
0: Uh, yeah, and I think I read, I can't remember, I read a really great article in Dazed about it, or there's another pretty good one that was a review of the uh, recent TV biopic about him and Soul Train uh, on The Guardian. And it basically explained it like that Don Cornelius was like a mid-century integration-minded black businessman and that he and his ilk and generation... Mm-hmm. They had been working toward, like you know, getting a piece of the pie that didn't necessarily—it wasn't the white pie. It was the pie that white people controlled. And if you were, you know, if you if you made your way to get a piece of this, that like you could you could be black and still enjoy the good life. And that hip hop reminded him of everything that he and his generation had kind of tried to work beyond and past and to integrate. Um, and that to him, it was a step backwards. So he wasn't vibing on it at all. My own personal take is that he was a smooth customer mm-hmm. and he, he appreciated smoothness And hip hop, especially 80s hip hop was the opposite of smooth. And so he he was not vibing on it at all. And it, he even referred to himself as an old guy sometimes when he was ref, in, interviewing um you know, some of the hip hop artists who came on soul train in the eighties.
2: Yeah. I watched one of the public enemy clips and, um, it was weird afterward. He like, he basically ignores Chuck D and like <laughs> talks only to flavor Flav and right? then finally turns to Chuck. and was like, and now Chuck D, he said, you must feel, uh, uh, so blessed to have, have someone as talented as Flavor as your partner. <laughs> what? Really? It was really weird. And Chuck D was like, yeah, you know, he's quite a character. Uh, was, as you can see. Yeah, I just, I don't know. It it really came off as like Don Cornelius it doesn't understand this. Not, what, I'm um, not dissing Flav, but like Chuck D was like the, the he was the leader of that band, you
0: know? Uh, yeah. He was the brains behind the outfit for sure. And I mean, like, Yeah. Flavor Flav's just like, he's, he's like fills in the kind of hardness of Chuck D. Yeah. I I don't, yeah. If you think public enemy, it's definitely Flavor Flav and Chuck D, but it's Chuck D. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then Flavor Flav.
2: Yeah. It it was definitely a strange interview (laughs) because I thought finally he's going to talk to Chuck D and he's like, you must feel so good about having this guy as your partner.
0: Which uh, which one was that after? Because they were on at least twice on the regular show, by my count, and then once on the Soul Train Awards, at least.
2: Yeah, I don't remember. So
0: it's not like he wasn't smart enough to know that they were big and should be on anyway, whether he liked them or not. But they did. They did "Can't Trust It" in ni- 1991, and they did Rebel Without a Pause" in 1987. And I could not find the interview segment. I just saw like the the performance, and oh, they were yeah. both like really great.
2: Well, it was very sweet, and, and actually um, it would have had to been the 90s one because afterward, Flavor Flav asked for a uh, a, a moment of silence for the passing of Miles Davis and Red Fox.
0: <laughs> yeah. And they took a moment of silence. That's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. So, um, and that's actually, we, we just um, in case we haven't gotten this across enough yet, Soul Train, again, was... It never got away from like its black roots. Like it never sold out or anything like that. Like it was like that makes perfect sense that they would include that part. They wouldn't just edit that out in the episode that, right. that they published. Yeah, um, totally. That was just part of it, even as er as late as the early nineties.
2: Yeah, in the early nineties is when Don Cornelius finally had to step down. Uh May 10th, 1993 was his final episode. He passed it on to uh the younger generation. It went all the way to 2006 and became the longest-running syndicated show in TV history.
0: Yeah, 35 seasons. Amazing. And it's that those younger that younger generation that he handed the reins over to, some of the um, temporary hosts included Jamie Foxx, sure. got his start, Tyra Banks, and Shamar Moore from Criminal Minds. He was a longtime <laughs> stand-in host. Really? Yeah, he's big time now. I don't know who that is. Um, I, I, I don't watch Criminal Minds either, but you've seen enough like ads for Criminal Minds oh, that yeah. <laughs> you would recognize, I'm sure. Uh,
2: very sadly, Don Cornelius took his own life. Uh, he was suffering from uh, Alzheimer's and uh, apparently was having a lot of seizures and just in a pretty bad way um, physically. And his son said that that was that was the reason why he took his own life.
0: Yeah. Well, plus he'd also sold the rights, I think, to Soul Train, too. And it seems like things kind of started to go downhill for him around then, I think in 2008.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. Um. But yeah, apparently it was a really big surprise to everybody who knew him that he, um, he uh, died by suicide. That that was not the um, perceived outcome for him, I think. Yeah. Um, But his legacy lives on. Like you said, I mean, the 35 seasons, the longest running syndicated television show of all time, in and of itself, it's a, an incredible achievement. But also to be like a cornerstone of like introducing black culture as black culture to the larger culture as yeah. a whole and white culture Huge. is, yeah, I mean, that's that's about as big an accomplishment as, as you can make. It's uh, like Jesse Jackson said, he was as important as any civil rights leader, yep. you know? So that's Don Cornelius and Soul Train. That's how it went. If you want to know more about that, you don't need to know anything else. Just start go watching clips of Soul Train and you will be a happier person than you were before you started.
2: Yeah, get ready for some sick robot action.
0: (laughs) It's so great. And rerun too. You can't forget about rerun. Fred Berry. No, that's sweet. Um, Well, since we talked about Fred Berry, that means everybody, obviously. It's time for Listener Mail.
2: Uh, This is about Iron Maiden. Uh, Hey, guys, listened to your short stuff on 666 Mm -hmm. and loved it. Uh, Mm -hmm. More so for Josh's thoughts on Iron Maiden. Hardest working band in the business. Seen them twice. I've been a Maiden fan for about 15 years, and I gotta say, Josh was right on the money when he said Power Slave was the album to listen to if you've never really given them a chance. Mm -hmm. So, Chuck... Whip out that old bean bag, roll up a fatty, crack open a cold one, and crank up some Maiden. You'll be glad you did. Uh, also, just want to say thank you both for the awesome work you do. I'm spewing, which must be Australian for angry. He says, I'm spewing because I couldn't get to your show when you came to Perth.
0: I think so, yeah. Said, yeah, you missed a good show. That was. A, I was thinking about how cool that town was the other day. Yeah,
2: Perth was cool. Uh, your discussion and delivery of interesting, exciting topics week after week transmute information and understanding into very enjoyable entertainment, into my ear holes, bringing much joy, not just to my commute, but to my work life.
0: Lots of love
2: from Mandura, Western Australia, and that is from Ty.
0: Ty, I like this person. Yeah. The, the, first of all, Ty says that I'm right, which I love. Yeah. Likes Iron Maiden, loves Iron Maiden, you could say, uh-huh. and is upset that we, that we that they missed our show be back sure we will be hey you know we're like number one in australia as far as podcasts go right now
2: i heard that man they're, they're practically begging for us to come back
0: we'll, we'll come back and we'll definitely go to perth again so don't worry ty we'll, we'll be there just keep an ear out keep your ear holes out that's right uh if you want to be cool like ty and get in touch with us um you can do that you can send us an email to stuff at iheartradio.com
2: Ready, set, griddle this grilling season. Get the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. With a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools, it's pre-seasoned and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly, edge to edge. It reaches up to 500 degrees, and the Weber Works Prep Cook-In-Store System keeps cooking supplies handy. You can carry all the food, condiments, and utensils you need. So get fired up for your new Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle.